Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. And it is now July, but June was Pride Month. Doesn't mean you have to stop checking out all the amazing LGBTQ creators. Uh, we have articles, uh, a few by Eric LaRocca, and uh, one by Bree that came out as of today of this recording. And uh, the title of that is Say It Five Times, How Candyman Sparked My Queer Awakening. It's not too long, so there's no excuse for you not to go to deadheadspace.com and check that out right now. Um, my name is Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my lovely co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are joined by three amazing individuals, Eric Raglan. Say hi, Eric. Hello. Bree Morgan, say hi, Bree. Hello. And Sophia, I'm so nervous. Adran, I did not say it right. <laughs> it's all good. I psyched Hello. myself up. <laughs> and today's episode is actually the 100th recorded episode. And um, wasn't even planned that way. So this is pretty awesome. Uh, it is called Sanitize Queerness and Horror. That was titled by Eric Raglan. Eric, please tell me why you came up with that title and why you're here today, sir. And anyone jump in at any moment. Sure. Well, I mean, this panel came together in part because of some conversations that had been going on on social media about representations of queer characters, particularly in, in horror, which is a genre. I, I don't use the word notorious because I, th- I feel like that's unfair. A genre known for... Um, messy, amoral characters. Um, and it, I, I hesitate to say some specific reasons why I'm interested in this because I, <laughs> I don't know, they, they involve pointing fingers to specific people, um, and specific reviews that I've read. But needless to say, there are some folks out there who are critical of, um, I guess. Uh, messy queer characters who think that messy queer characters are in some way, you know, bad representation. Like they, they give us a bad name or something like that. And I guess, hence the title, I won't go on too long, but yeah, sanitized queerness and horror um, queer characters who are, I don't know, um, you know, made to be your, your friendly neighbors on the cul-de-sac, totally non-threatening. They smile, they mow their lawn, the, they've never had any complaints for, filed with the HOA. Um, they're they're lovely people, and they have a very nice dog too. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, I kind of rambled there, but yeah, sanitized queerness and horror. Um, it uh, it bugs me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my my apologies. I think it said sanitized. Oh wait, wait. What did you say? I, I I did it with a D as in the past tense. So. Oh no, you're totally fine. Up. But oh, I. Had, I have to say before anyone else jumps in that uh, Nat Edwards, a.k.a. T.C. Parker, was on that message us and uh, said, hey, you should give them a shout out. So unfortunately, due to like time zones and stuff, we couldn't have Nat on with uh, a bunch of different schedules. But Nat, you are here in spirit. Um, Bria or Sophia, jump in. Why are you here? Well, uh, I- go oh. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, I was I was watching the Twitter thread kind of unfold and I I chimed in a little bit where I felt like it was appropriate but 
especially as a bisexual woman in a straight passing relationship um, and a horror writer, I've kind of gotten all kinds of all kinds of comments on my representation of queer characters or myself as a queer person, how I choose to live my life. So it's definitely something I'm interested in. And as I write more queer horror, I don't anticipate that it's going to let up any. So <laughs> I, I think it's definitely <laughs> worth discussing. That's great. What about you? Sophia? I can definitely relate to that. Um, I am a, by gender queer person and so uh, I've been seeing a lot of the I guess discourse <laughs> that's been going on on Twitter um, and it feels like a little bit of a rehash of the types of dialogues we were seeing back in the day on Tumblr um, and the the title like sanitizing queer horror specifically is you know aptly named um, definitely what struck me or one of the things that was really striking to me was um, especially with it being around Pride Month, there's this sort of performative expectation of like coming out and being a visible queer. So mm -hmm. if you're not under that sort of category, um, people either assume that you are cis or that you're not queer um, and that you're not, you're not allowed to write these stories. Um, and so there's been a lot of policing going on around how people choose to represent themselves, what types of stories queer people like to share, um, including, you know, uh, marginalized creators talking about uh, something other than being marginalized. So there's stories that come out where the main character happens to be queer, but the story has nothing to do with their queerness. It's just a part of their identity. So um, that, and then a lot of like other Twitter discourse is kind of what got me interested and involved in this, but it's it's definitely been this like growing volcano that's you know <laughs> ready to explode or slash has exploded this month i find you know i gotta i was thinking about when you were talking it made me think of this question for all three of you um coming out is very personal um you know, well, my best friend, he, as a kid, he was Vietnamese and his parents are from Vietnam. And when they found out he was a kid, he was like, I don't know, six or eight or I don't remember, but they made him sleep outside in the trampoline. I, I, their backyard trampoline. I just, I remember I'm like, that's so fucked up. Um, and my point for bringing that up is because uh, it can be damaging. I imagine if it's not handled the right way and, isn't that, how do you guys feel about the way that other people in that community, um, the LGBTQ community, how they handle possibly uh, cis people or cis uh, people under their cis guys celebrating your community? And I'm struggling to find the right words, so I don't, excuse me for stumbling, but I don't want to come off the wrong way. How do you guys feel about representation for people that may not be cis but guess what they might be in the closet and and isn't that kind of like bullying and really damaging like I, I don't know how else to word it so someone jump in please I think you're talking about sort of assuming whether yeah. someone is straight or gay yeah, and yeah. you know like like I mentioned earlier I'm with a cisgender or heterosexual man so it looks like I'm a straight woman but I'm not and you know, if 
there's room for everybody at the table. And a lot of people try to police sort of other people's identities. Um, I mostly see it with uh, straight people trying to police queer people's identities. But I will say there is also a certain degree of queer policing that happens um, of different identities. So it's, it's hard. You never want to assume you think you know somebody's orientation. And if someone tells you they're they're a certain orientation, just believe them. Don't question them about it. Don't push them on it or anything like that, because at the end of the day, they're the ones who have to live with it. And it's really none of your business. That's well said. Uh, Eric or Sophia, any, anything on that topic? Um, I think also what's interesting is that everyone is learning and growing in their own time. And so not everyone is at the age where they fully understand necessarily what their gender identity is, what their sexual identity is. So um, I think approaching that with kindness and with like the understanding that I don't think the majority of people go out there creating work with like the intent to be malicious um, or the intent to like represent toxicity, like because they want to like, I don't know, upset people. Um, But you know, when we look at a lot of the um, dialogues that are going on online, um, I think a good thing to take into account is like a lot of these are about developing guidelines for cis authors to be respectful and to not berate um, people writing about their own experiences. So it's important to approach that maybe by asking questions like, why do you want to write from this character's point of view if you're not um, queer? Or um, do you read from this community currently? Um, Why do you want to tell these kinds of stories? And so asking a lot of those questions I find is helpful if you're writing from an experience that's not your own um, or if you're like questioning or you're not sure, but I don't, I find that there's more harm than good in like policing um, Mm -hmm. what it is that like people are allowed to write about. There's a lot of these like straw man arguments that are going on these days where it's like um, diversity can only be like one of two camps. It's either like it's mandatory to include at least one of like every identity. And if you don't, you're a racist, sexist, homophobe, and you're like perpetuating fascism. <laughs> or if oh, you're no. not an identity. Fascism there. Shut yeah, up. Exactly. <laughs> and, and if you're not of a certain identity, you're disallowed from ever writing of that like group at all. And uh, they're straw men arguments and mm. they take over online discourse, mm-hmm. particularly in Twitter, because it's just like it's so inflammatory that people get like really riled up about it. Um, but I think it's important to keep in mind that no one can speak for an entire group and no one can hand you a blank check about what it's OK or not OK to write about. So I think particularly for queer authors, the whole point of like writing queer literature is that it's about the other. It's like about what's, you know, uh, not usually seen kind of thing. So I think, um, I don't know, our our identities are not a monolith. (laughs) This is interesting. Sorry, Eric, you were about to talk. Oh, no, that's right. I I was thinking of adding too. I mean, as far as, you know, policing people who might be uh, straight passing or cis passing or something, or folks who might be in the closet, but are interested in writing about um, maybe stories with queer characters, that sort of thing. Um, I think fiction is oftentimes like one of the first safe spaces a person has to explore 
aspects of identity in that way. And I think to to shut that out for folks who might be like, like even if they don't end up coming out of the closet, or even if they end up uh, thinking like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not. I, I still think it's important to keep that open for people um, as as a way to explore. And then also like, I'm going to get a little bit idealistic here too, but also as like an imaginative space. Like I think about a lot of uh, queer fiction, this may be, maybe not necessarily in the world of horror, um, but I'm thinking about like more, I don't know, utopian fan or uh, utopian science fiction, that sort of thing. Like just thinking about like the power of writing about, you know, queer characters who live in worlds where, you know, they, they can be fully themselves and that sort of thing. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm thinking about like just some cool science fiction um, writers who who have done that sort of thing. Um, and uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying, was it you that's reading Gideon the Ninth right now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wait, wait, what is it? I gotta write it down. I Gideon, oh, you'd love it, Pat. You'd love this book. It's so funny. It's so good. How do you, it's so um, good. How do you, uh, how do you spell really well that? Uh, I'll I'll send it to you in a little bit. All right. Um, cool. But uh, yeah, I, I just think you know it's a it's a space to explore aspects of yourself that maybe you don't feel comfortable um, expressing publicly, and it's also a space to imagine new worlds. And I think to uh, police and shut that out is is a mistake. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what's interesting is Brennan. Um, I don't know if you're thinking this, but when we had our second round table of amongst them was uh, Gabino and Iglesias, and he was talking about the Latino or, or black experience. And he's like, he started laughing. He's, he's like, there's so many, there could be the black guy from the Bronx, the, the black Jamaican from, you know, somewhere else. And he starts listing off all these things. He goes, there's not one experience. So it's really interesting that that is true for a, like pretty much all groups. So I'm glad that you brought that uh, up. I can't remember who mentioned, I think Sophia, you mentioned it. Uh, one person can't speak for the entire group. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important because with social media, you kind of get lost in the moment and you kind of take certain people's word for doctrine. Like I'm a cis white dude. So if I hear one thing and I'm newer, I'm going to be like, Oh, they're smart. I'll probably just listen to them. But like talking to people of uh, different walks of life, you know, you, you guys are all, you come from different places and stuff. So it's really interesting to just hear what everyone has to say. Brennan, uh, why don't you jump in, man, with a question? Yeah, I mean, first off, I, I love the discourse going on right now with the idea of um, authors, you know, sometimes feeling like it's not my story to tell. And I, I, this, I would say this applies tangentially, but, you know, we were having a panel discussion a few weeks ago um, about uh, uh, disabled children. And I mentioned that, you know, one thing I would do is write an autistic character from first person, but not really with any intention of marketing that. Um, Sophia, you specifically mentioned, you know, when you are, when, when an author is writing um, queer characters, they've got to kind of question, why am I choosing this character? Mm -hmm. And if it's because I think I can get into this anthology, I couldn't otherwise get into, maybe that's not the best choice. Um, and I, I do really love the idea of fiction as an avenue um, to explore different perspectives. And I don't think there's anything wrong with writing a character that is incredibly different from your perspective, but without really any eye to 
show that experience to the rest of the world, to write it just to see what do I really think? You know, let me sit down at a computer and just, you know, blow my thoughts all over the page. Um, not a question, just, you know, a thought. Um, I, I do kind of want to go back to the original topic, though, you know, which was uh, making all your queer characters very, you know, friendly and uh, family friendly and happy and safe. So I'm wondering, what are your perspectives? What are, if, if the market gets oversaturated with these safe characters, what are the dangers in your personal opinions? Beth, let's throw be, it to you. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. We're, all, we're all too excited. Um, I, I mean, the, the danger is that, you know, people who are outside the community, they see that and they think that there is only one real way to be queer or if they are queer and in the closet or, you know, just less out maybe um, than some, some of their peers, they might think, again, there's only one way to be queer and then they might not feel like they truly belong or feel comfortable coming out. So I think that it is important. I'm sure everyone here would agree. It's important to go ahead and show the, the full gamut of human experience and that, you know, queer people go through the same stuff that everyone else goes through. We're not all, we're not monsters or anything. We're just, we're just people. I would add though, like, let us be monsters. We want to Hell be yeah. monsters. Too. <laughs> like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eric, what, real I, quick, what, what type of monster would you be if you could be, be any monster? Oh, man. I'd be some sort of cryptid. I think I, well, <laughs> that's not the right answer. You're a bird. Uh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll be a um, bird cryptid. Some sort of monstrous <laughs> bird. Ooh, I'd be a cassowary. Cassowaries will will Ooh. wreck your day. And for anyone that doesn't know it, Eric's obsessed with birds. That's why I, I said it. I, was just, I wanted to see if he would say. Pat it. wants to go bird watching with me. Um, I, do. Oh, man. I would <laughs> so love that. We're gonna make that happen. To me. Yes, but but I think on the the topic of like you know letting us be monstrous, I think that's just as important to humanizing us as like showing, oh you know like the the uh, the gays in the. Um, uh, uh, the suburban cul-de-sac. Uh, I think it's just as important because like, if you only show one side of a group of people, uh, I don't know. I think that's kind of messed up. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's important to see a person for all their sides and like allow them to explore those parts themselves that are maybe a little bit darker. And I, I think that also like to, only have these sanitized visions. Like it's always going to be a moving goalpost. Like if, if they, they being like, you know, dominant cultural forces see that we are willing to assimilate in this way, they'll see how far they can push it until mm -hmm. like essentially we're assimilated into non-existence or assimilated to the point where like queerness means nothing. Um, and it's just basically obliterated. So um, in the interest of self-defense, I think it is important that we be allowed to be monsters. <laughs> That's me being a little bit like <laughs> over the top, but I don't know. Yeah. No, I, it's not. I agree with that. Um, I find like this follows a lot of the same narrative trajectories as like pride parade. The, the same kinds of dialogues have been going on where it was like, you can you can't be queer to uh all right you can be queer but keep it to yourself and then it's like all right you can be open but don't do queer stuff yeah. and it's like that same narrative has been transposed onto queer content that queer artists are creating um and it creates this duality between um these like mega monolith 
um, monopolies like Disney um, and Netflix um, and what sort of queer representation they have. And a lot of the times there isn't any queer representation and it's like they get away with queer baiting. When I was a teen, I was like shipping Yu-Gi-Oh characters together. I was wishing I was Aladdin. Um, there's no need uh, for uh, you know Disney, in their opinion, to show any sort of queer representation because fans will do the legwork for them, right? Um, and so I think there really needs to be this push for support of queer indie artists because it's real authentic stories that are being told um, and they're being told in so many different facets. It's honestly, like, in my opinion, I believe that it's okay for, um, you know, a, a toxic queer relationship to be shown uh, in, in a story if it's being told by a queer artist, um, whether or not that's based on their own personal experience. I think what's often conflated is that portrayal of those sorts of characters of like the monstrous or the queer people as monstrous um, is not an endorsement of that sort of narrative. Um, you're just showing that kind of character. You're just showing those kinds of relationships. Um, and if you're not into that, then you can find representation of happy, wholesome, could kill the sack, like you said, queer relationships out there. Um, but there are these like complex queer stories being told and um, you can have them both, right? Like there's a whole gray area. So I find that this like sanitization and weird policing around um, what kind of queer stories are like allowed to be told mm -hmm. um, or are like toxic. It's like to who, like who's the intended audience? Um, Cause this comes up a lot in horror and it's like, horror has always been the space to explore the other and horror is supposed to be horrifying. So mm -hmm. I don't know, putting that like power back into the hands of queer authors, I think is more empowering than anything. There's so many great, that uh, me Brennan, um, you know, I'm gonna speak from this. You guys, you know, Haley Piper, um, Eric LaRocca. There's just so many good pieces of fiction today that you can explore. Like, it really is. As long as you're in the Twitterverse or whatever, it's hard to escape it. And and just forever is listening and hasn't even explored it yet you got you gotta you gotta just dive in um eric i gotta ask what the hell happened to you on a cul-de-sac <laughs> oh i don't know i mean it's just like i my mind whenever i think of sanitized queerness i always think of like and i don't i don't even watch the show but i think of modern family that like abc <laughs> show or whatever it's just like <laughs> oh okay this was like them testing That's the waters it. with queer characters who are just about as assimilated as possible okay um, who are like vaguely like upper middle class uh, who, who I don't think they actually live on a cul-de-sac in the show, but it feels like they would. That's why I keep referencing it because Modern Family is my reference for sanitized. Because I, I grew I grew up in suburbia, Massachusetts, on a cul-de-sac, and I'm like, there was no awesome queerness. There's just the sanitized <laughs> stuff that you were mentioning. So I'm a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> you spied on me as a child. Now I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know anything about suburbs other than that they're just exceedingly boring and um, yeah. a, a drag to drive through and they have too much sprawl and they should be annihilated. There you That's go. All I know. Uh, my parents are moving this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what, Brie, on the subject of sanitized uh, queerness, I would love it. You don't have to go over the whole thing, but your article in Candyman, I think actually applies here. Um, it, it's a good article. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. 
it pushes <laughs> a lot of boundaries. Or you could just, if you don't mind, talk about Candyman and, and what it means to you. That's your article. So why don't you talk about your article? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Try to word sure. it another way. <laughs> sure. So Candyman is one of those films that I watched at exactly the right time. Um, I was kind of in a place where, you know, I'd spent several years kind of questioning my identity and debating who I was and who I was into. Uh, I grew up very conservative Christian. So all my life I heard, you know, if you're queer, you're going to hell. If you're literally anything other than cisgender and straight, you're going to hell. So all my life I kind of tried to fight that. And then around 2015, when I saw Candyman for the first time, like, I was at the perfect place to sort of dig into that. And part of how that movie made me realize that I was actually queer is that I was attracted to Tony Todd, but then I was also attracted to Virginia Madsen and it was the exact same. And I never before been in a scenario where there were two people that I was equally attracted to that were, you know, different genders um, or different gender presentation presentations. So I kind of had to confront that and, I kind of drew some parallels between myself and Virginia uh, Madsen's character, Helen, in the movie, because she she's kind of enamored with the Candyman and she wants to learn more about him and spend more time with him. And, you know, whether or not she actually loves him is debatable, but there's this attraction and so many people, you know, are questioning that and they think it looks one way from the outside when it's completely different on the inside. And like I said, I I could kind of relate to that because I had felt that it was fine to love anyone. Just in my gut feeling was that, you know, you can love someone, whether they're this gender or that gender or no gender or all genders, it doesn't really matter. So I had to go with what I knew was right in my gut rather than sort of what I had been brought up to believe. So for me, seeing Candyman was kind of the thing that helped me like step into my own. And I'm not saying like I wouldn't have come out if I hadn't watched Candyman, <laughs> but it it did help. I mean, a man with that much control over bees is just very, he's extremely hot. I mean, <laughs> erotic. T- Tony Todd. <laughs> what a voice it's, too. It's the hook. Does. <laughs> the hook. I'm telling you guys, even as a straight man, I'm like, I don't know, Tony, kind of turn to me. <laughs> the bone structure alone. <laughs> like from an artistic guy. point of view, you gotta you gotta admit. Oh. <laughs> Feels like that episode of the office where they're like, is she hot? And then they're just dissecting the the what it, the dimensions of her cheeks and whatnot. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Tony Todd's a very good looking man. By I don't know where to I don't know where to go from here. I I was not joking to take any power away from your article or or your thoughts about it. I just wanted to add, you know, but my silly, stupid thought that Tony Hodd is a very handsome man. Yes. Well, I obviously agree. So, So, Brennan, how are you stairs, buddy? Because I'm lost. Uh, No, I I I loved reading that. I thought it was very interesting to be able to identify a catalyst, like a very specific moment. Uh, a turning point, if you will. So yeah, thank you again for uh, taking the time to write that up and for uh, letting us host it. Thank you. Um, I, I want to kind of go the opposite direction of sanitized queerness. I mean, you, you, Eric, you talked about how horror uh, has this history of, you know, creating, let's say, messy characters. 
Um, but it also definitely has a history of uh, villainizing, demonizing queer characters. So I, I wonder what are, you know, whether historically or even up to modern times, what are some of the more harmful things that, you know, you would personally would like to see out of here? Um, I, I think as as far as things that I'd like to see out of here, uh, the notion that queer people are sexually predatory. Um, I think mm -hmm. that's been especially toxic with like trans bathroom narratives. Um, yeah, that, that shit sucks. Um, it just thoroughly sucks. And it's it, nothing of it is backed up by any, anything resembling like facts or reality. Um, and I don't know that it's, it's something that I've seen a whole ton in horror. Like I can think of maybe a couple examples. Um, but that is, that is one of those pieces that I think like, well, you know, yes, I want us to be able to explore queer villainy in interesting ways, but I don't want to see over and over this notion that um, I guess queer people are sexual predators and that you got to protect your children. You got to, uh, you know, protect the women, um, that sort of thing. I think that's just nasty. That's a good point. I would tend to agree with that. Definitely. Like I was thinking about this earlier today um, in preparation <laughs> um, like what were queer characters that I had seen in horror growing up? And then sadly my mind landed on like Hitchcock's psycho yeah, yeah. and silence of the lambs. And they both speak to exactly what Eric was saying, um, where it's this devious sexual predatory, um, you know, experience that's specifically tied to their queerness. Um, so I, I would like to, see us go away from that narrative you know or or look at it from a different lens certainly and it i think sophia it's so complicated too because i love both of those films mm -hmm. but i also like acknowledge the ways in which they can be pretty harmful like i i remember seeing i don't remember what documentary it was but it was something about like the reception of silence of the lambs when it came out and how a lot of queer groups were deeply angry about you know, the portrayal of Buffalo Bill and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but both films are awesome and both films are like really complicated. There's, there's stuff to chew on there. <laughs> Red Dragon got some heat too, man, for uh, mental health with, uh, uh, f f what's his name? Uh, something Dollarhide. Um, Francis. Francis. Thank you. Francis Dollarhide. <laughs> I just reread it. That's, that's the only reason <laughs> I remember. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a tight rope to walk. You're dealing mm -hmm. with the uh, triggers like that. Um, does anyone else have anything to jump into what Eric was talking about or answering? Okay. Um, Brent, I'm going to give it to you one more time and then I'll take over with the question if you don't mind. Sure. So, all right. So I I'm wondering, let's say you've got uh, a writer in, in the uh, Twitter versus Pat uh, phrased it earlier and they, you know, have met some really excellent people um, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to throw my name in the ring here because I grew up in a very white sheltered community. And I will tell you, I have met more, you know, a, a, a bigger variety uh, of people in the last two years of my life uh, that just, you know, blow up what it looks like where I live. Um, made some people that I, I consider friends um, from the LGBTQ community, just, you know, and, 
it, it's 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 very eye opening. So let's say that you have a writer in my shoes who wants to work that representation uh, into their work. How <clears throat> how should that writer approach research? Because obviously we want to do it in a respectful manner. Um, if it's okay if I start, I I'm thinking about I have a friend who her job is or at least one of her jobs is reviewing people's Google searches and seeing like how accurate the results are. And oftentimes there are very like oddball questions that come out. Um, like people Googling things that if they said it out loud would be maybe deeply embarrassing to them or if they like ask them in public or something like that. But I think like, I'm not, I don't think Google is a perfect vehicle for, you know, learning about queerness, but I do think it's like, it's a good starting point. Um, I think like, you know, with any of these things like uh, search engines that have algorithms driven on engagement, you know, sometimes it's going to, to lead you astray and that sort of thing. Like think about stories of people who go down YouTube rabbit holes and then suddenly like, uh, you know, a few days later it's recommending like Ben Shapiro and, and, you know, nonsense like that. And so, I, I mean, I think what I'm saying there in sort of a long winded way is, is be careful with online research and, uh, it's a useful tool, but it might also be worth in conjunction with that talking to queer people, you know, and saying like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm curious about this. I've been doing a little research on this. Just wanted to, to double check. Like if you wouldn't mind, you have a, a couple seconds to like talk about this thing or like, can I ask you a couple questions about it? Personally, as a queer person, if either of y'all ever did that, wouldn't be offended at all. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be happy to help with what, I guess a little expertise I have. Um, I, I don't feel like I have enough expertise, especially on things like history, but um, yeah, I, I think, you know, coupling honest online research with human communication for people who are in the community. I agree. I think um, also potentially hiring a sensitivity reader yes. as something that has come up a lot more recently um, in the Twitterverse. Um, to just get feedback from, you know, someone that's part of that community to really see, again, no one can give you a blank check to write whatever, whatever it is you want to write. Um, but it might give you feedback onto a perspective that you wouldn't have necessarily thought about. Um, also maybe trying to find, um, a queer editor to work with, um, and, uh, looking at like the representation, like, is it a bad representation? Like, is it perpetuating a stereotype? Um, if it is, what does that say? So like, for instance, I consider myself queer. I'm genderqueer. Um, I'm also bi, but the manuscript that I spent the last like two years working on um, in the end, <laughs> this might be spoilers, but um, <laughs> one of the main two queer characters dies it is a zombie novel. There's like a lot of characters that die. And <laughs> I struggled for a really long time trying to figure out within myself, um, am I perpetuating the stereotype of barrier gaze, which is where queer characters, you know, they never get the, the happy ending at the end. Um, if there's, there's always going to be one queer partnership and it always, uh, you know, ends in, in flames kind of thing. Um, so I, I put that project aside for a really long time. And the more I sort of revisit thinking about that narrative, the more I think about how that, 
that like character death needs to happen because it's part of the bigger theme or like narrative that's going on in that story. Um, so I think sometimes it's okay to have to, to lean into these sort of things. Obviously, again, I can't speak for everyone. I can only speak for myself and the stories that I'm telling. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not trying to glorify that sort of uh, narrative in any way. It's just, it um, helps tell the story that I'm trying to tell and the characters so happen to be queer. So I hope that helps answer a little bit. <laughs> I went on a tangent, but. And, uh, Brianna, that- I want to throw it to you in a minute, but uh, Sophia, I think that's, I think that's so tied to the overall theme of, uh, you know, sanitizing the characters, because if you, uh, you know, you back down from what you feel like needs to happen in that manuscript, um, y- your story ends up being not as strong and arguably it, the, the, representation ends up being not as strong because um because it's again it's just the punch is pulled and you know the audience Mm -hmm. is going to be able to tell the punch is pulled Mm -hmm. uh that's my two cents on it anyway brianna Uh, yeah i would just add that you know it's all about intention going off what eric said you know if you have questions don't be afraid to reach out to people even if you think it might be a stupid question as long as your heart is in the right place and you are asking from a place of genuinely wanting to know more and understand i think that's fine i don't think i mean i'm speaking for myself but i don't think any queer person would have a problem for the most part with you approaching them openly and asking you know for their honest experience and being open to listening and changing your story if if you do have that problematic representation mm-hmm. pat did you want to jump in with something yeah i wanted to ask sophia um if that's her debut novel that she's working on i'm curious <laughs> about it it was for a really long time but i find man there's so much pressure put on the title of like a debut novel i'm like <laughs> maybe i'll get my feet wet with a novella or something <laughs> Um, and it's also like, it's the first like feature length, you know, like novel that I ever wrote. And, um, I started writing it in 2016 or 2017. So I can see how far along my writing skills have gone. Like, thank God, you know, (laughs) it'd be a problem if I was like, this is great. Like years later. (laughs) Um, but it, (laughs) it went through, you know, um, I worked with, uh, Jess Landry, who is an, excellent editor and Mm -hmm. um it went through a beta reading process and um i've stepped back away from it for a little bit because i'm like i want to make these like massive structural changes that aren't just like line edits anymore so i'd like to come back to it because my heart i love zombies i love zombie novels i love zombie films i really want that to be either my first or second sort of like published story if i'm so lucky but uh yeah you know what? Zombie story. I, this wasn't even unintentional, but a quick segue where the dead go to die. It's written by two uh, queer men, and it's. Oh, is, is that the Aaron Dries? Uh, and Mark Allen Gunnels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I want to read that. I bet that's good. It's, it's a zombie book, but. It's just so much more. Like I <laughs> writing this down. <laughs> my brand. This is up my alley. <laughs> we read it for the season finale of season one. Uh, the past is December, and um, 
that's I had my boy the month before that, my first kid, and that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> like, <laughs> God damn you two, you guys fucked me up for life. <laughs> uh, while we're on the subject, though, I'm going back to you, Sophia, with uh, writing. You had some good news this year, not last year, I think, with your first sold story. I would love it if you could promote that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I wrote, uh, I guess, over like COVID uh, last summer, um, a little short story called The Arborglyph. It is also a queer body horror story. Um, and uh, it got picked up by um, Max Booth for mm-hmm. the Lost Contact anthology, which I believe oh, comes nice. out in August. Um, so getting to work with him was really, really exciting, especially since his plate has been like so full with everything going on right now. Yeah. But um, I'm so excited for like people to see, I don't know, my little, my little treasure. <laughs> oh, it was very validating. Is, that title is super cool. I really Thank like it. You. Thank you. And uh, while we're on it, because authors, for some reason, don't like to be shameless for the most part, let's move on to uh, Brie. And then we'll jump we'll jump back to the main theme. But, you know, while we're at it, come on, you you put out like four books last year. Yeah, I didn't have anything else to do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but like I lost my job last um, last May last maybe April I don't I don't know and I had a lot of the these projects I had they were already like mostly written so I definitely didn't like write and publish three books in the same year I just it looks like I did but I had a bunch of half-finished things that I just finally sat down and I was like well I guess if I can't leave the house I might as well fix this plot hole (laughs) I had done basically everything else but fix the plot hole so I decided it was time to do that um, I don't think I'll be doing that this year because it's already June and I don't have anything out. Not that, hey, that's not a bad thing. You got a pretty good readership from what I can tell, so that's pretty awesome. Thank you. You, you can publish five books next year, Brie. I'm just gonna yeah. double it every year. And then, oh my perfect. god! And then if I then, then if I die, I'll just get famous posthumously. There you go. <laughs> Gay will live off of your riches. <laughs> I'm a blaze of glory. <laughs> Eric, now it's time for you to talk about yourself. Tell us about your podcast. Tell us about your books. Oh, okay. I run Curse More Souls, which is a podcast with interviews and discussions about horror fiction and weird fiction. And I mostly focus on short fiction. So novellas and short stories. Bria has been on the show. And um, beyond that, I... Yeah, I mean, I've edited, or I, I should say co-edited Pearl Iscariot, which Brandon's story was in. It's an anti-capitalist uh, horror collection, or a horror anthology. And then I'm editing uh, Antifa Splatterpunk this summer, which is exactly what it sounds like. Anti-fascist Splatterpunk stories. That's going to be really fun. And I got a, I got a, I'm kind of having a year like Brie you had last year, where I'm putting out a lot of stuff. Um, so... Yeah, I, I've got my collection, my personal collection coming out in September, Nightmare Yearnings. And then, um, and then, yeah, I'm just going to like collapse into a heap and um, chill for a while. I think that's, I think that's the plan. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the main stuff that I've been doing. Um, it's been a pretty busy year, but I'm almost done with the collection too, as well. And who knows what will happen with that? <laughs> well, good luck, man. 
Oh, what about that tick story? That thing you, you sell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so actually, I, I have a little side story about that, if it's okay. It is related to the topic, the sanitized greenness one. Go for it. It's awesome. So, so, <laughs> no, wait. Tell the plot first of the story. Okay. Uh, I, I won't give away too much, but it involves it involves uh, ticks. It involves conversion therapy. And it involves hmm, uh, lots of blood. I'll just say that. Those Triple threat. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, but that story... When when we kind of set up this panel, um, it sort of inspired me. I was like, God, you know, I want to write some really messy queer characters. And I'd been working on this one for a while. And in the first draft, it was like completely different. And it was like 15,000 words long. It was, it was just too long. It was, it was all over the place. And uh, in that one, they were a little more sanitized. Like, not like completely. You know, they were characters who had had flaws and they had like complicated things going on in their lives. But mm-hmm. In this draft, I was I was very intentional about wanting to explore messiness in a way that was, uh, I guess, looking at it neutrally. Like it's it's not intended to be condemned. It's not intended to be celebrated. Like make of it what you will, reader. Like I want mm-hmm. a story in which characters are allowed to be vulnerable. They're allowed to be violent. They're allowed mm-hmm. to be liars. They're allowed to um, hate their parents. They're allowed to you know do all these things that maybe someone will look on and be like, Oh my goodness, this is abysmal. This is, this is awful. But uh, I, I don't know. I think that's important. And I think those stories are worth telling and the characters are people who are still worthy as people, uh, even though they're fictional and don't actually exist. (laughs) Well, you know, speaking of people that do exist are in the LGBT community is in my opinion, the smartest human, uh, was um, in that, and that's uh, Leonardo da Vinci. He invented, you name it, everything, and uh, also vegetarian. So I don't know if you guys knew that because I found that out last year. I'm like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> the day I learned. <laughs> um, I want to jump, if you guys don't mind, because we're talking about pros, but I, um, I would actually like to, and we talked a little bit about films already, but I'd like to pick your brains and it doesn't have to be just in heart being fiction in general. What are your thoughts on where queer representation is going now with current films? Whoever wants to go. <laughs> Eric. Okay. All right. I have a thought. Uh, this is something I've talked to my partner about and um uh, we will oftentimes watch like shows on it. Mostly it's Netflix. It seems like Netflix is the biggest offender in this regard where there will be ostensibly positive queer representation, but it's just, it's so um, it's so preachy. It's like, this is the, this is the good thing. Like mm-hmm. uh, homophobia is bad. Here's our mm-hmm. homophobia is bad scene. And it's just so boring. It's just yeah. so boring. And so like, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, there are uh, queer characters in these roles and that sometimes these queer characters are allowed to be messy, but, and, and maybe I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes my own fiction, because I have, I certainly have moments in which it's like homophobia is bad, but um, I don't know. Um, I, I think I see signs of, I guess, positive representation, but I would like to see it move away from the need to preach uh, the need to, bestow values upon viewers and readers and that sort of thing. I I would like to see more of, I guess, more fiction and more movies and TV shows that just trust readers and viewers to 
make those judgments themselves um, and just treat people as human beings. Tom, will you, uh, Bree? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think there is sort of, there are some good, some, some great shows out with queer representation. I definitely feel like it's going in the right direction and we've definitely come a long way from where we were. But um, like Eric said, there's still a lot that needs to be done. I've noticed, I've noticed a lot of, uh, in particular, homosexual male representation tends to be the most common representation that I've seen in, in media when people try to include queer representation. And um, a lot of times that is, you know, a gay white kid and that's it. And that's like the only queer kid you see in the whole thing. And it's like, you know, anyone can be queer. Anyone can have this experience and it's not just limited to this one type of person. And I think that is, that's probably the thing I would change when it comes to representation of queer people in the media is that there needs to be, there needs to be more diversity within the community. Yes. I agree. It's also so funny to me when I see queer characters represented, um, particularly in this like sanitized Netflixy sort of universe that they've built where it's always like the token queer couple. And it's like a lot of the times queer people tend to have friendship groups within themselves. So it's bizarre to me to see like, they're hanging around all these like street people. But um, one of the shows that really struck me um, that I watched first last year was Euphoria. Um, and it has uh, this excellent queer representation that is very messy and real and shows all of the beautiful, tragic, horrifying, grotesque experiences and feelings around being uh, young and being queer and uh, you know there's all sorts of different characters that are portrayed on this show um, and to my knowledge the creator Sam Levinson um, speaks directly with the actors so there is a trans woman um, that plays on that show and um, they spoke with them directly um, to really get some some feedback on the type of story that they were going to build together so it became more of a collaborative role. Um, I would love to see more of that sort of thing being told because it's one thing to have these sanitized queer stories being shown and it's another for um, who is creating these stories behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, are, uh, are the directors um, queer? Are the directors like people of color um, and such? Like, it's like what Brianna was saying, like, um, I also want to see uh, intersectionality it's there's a lot of like white queer stories that are being told um and there's so much more that's out there including all these like messy fun you know stories that we're missing out on this is a great show that i just thought of that my wife and i love uh i think it's ending now with three seasons and uh pose and for anyone that hasn't I seen it, see it i want to watch that yeah it's, it's so good it, it's it, it, for those that haven't seen it or even know what it is it's um it's set in the 80s in new york where it's basically uh these groups of like balls for everyone in the lgbtq community but they're also dealing with the uh, aids crisis and it's there's trans 
genders in there. There's gay men. Uh, there's very few white people in this too, which makes it all the more different. And the shit they go through, it, it's fucked up. Um, it really, if you have a heart, it hurts mm-hmm. to to listen and view this. Uh, one of an actor I really likes, and Billy Porter, he uh, plays basically the MC for all the balls and. Um, He's funny as hell. Well, sometimes he's sad, but it's it's a great show. So I wanted to throw that in there. If anyone uh, hasn't heard of it yet, it's on Netflix. Um, Eric, I would think that that would hopefully counterbalance some of those. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I, I think it helps that it's shows. a good creator. Uh, although Ryan Murphy, I, I think Ryan Murphy is the creator, right? Yeah, and there he's, are. He's a complicated I, I, guy. I, Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that the trans actors are they're actually transgender mm-hmm. yeah. people. Yeah. So that's pretty damn cool. Nice. I'm gonna check that one um, out. If you do, let me know what you think. Brennan, do you have another question, sir? Or shall I continue? No, or go ahead. Shall anyone? All right, I want to throw it to Bree. <laughs> Bree, what do you want to talk about next? <laughs> um, I mean there's so there's this one aspect of queer representation that I have seen as a queer woman, um, and it is the idea of the. I feel like every relation, every queer relationship I see that involves two women or two feminine presenting people, it's always they're always like lipstick lesbians. They're always very feminine, mm-hmm. very traditionally you know girly and all that and. Um, it's like there's that ideal and then which is kind of fetishized to a certain extent and then there's you know the really butch lesbians um and oftentimes they are portrayed as predatory and obviously that's that's a huge problem and i just i don't know i i really want us to move away from that because like sophia was saying we need more intersectionality and we need to really understand that there are people from all walks of life who can be queer and just because someone looks one way doesn't mean they're queer or they're not queer and you there's really no way of knowing unless you ask the person what their identity is and if they decide not to tell you then it's there's nothing you can do it's none of your business at that point fair way to look at it um i want to throw in a book that cover it's about two women that meet on a um back in 2000 meet in a uh you know where i'm going yeah so, <laughs> we all right, do. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say it, the title things have gotten worse since we last yeah, spoke yeah eric was on unfo- eric larock was unfortunately not to make this uh able to make this episode but um he's also here with us in spirit it is a book about two women that uh meet in a queer uh chat room or or what is it back then? Forum. Forwards? Forum. It's like oh, yeah. AOL or something. <laughs> or, oh, yeah, yeah. Queer forum and then AOL. Yeah, so oh, they yeah. talk. Messenger or whatever. They meet on a forum and somehow Eric makes an Apple uh, peeler <laughs> interesting. So that, I mean, that was great. But they end up talking through just email and AIM. And uh, AOL is the messenger for you youngins out there. But um, <laughs> did everyone read that story? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can we talk about that real quick? Because that definitely applies to this. Oh, yeah. Everyone, 100%. everyone has okay. read that story. <laughs> everyone in this room has read it. That's beautiful. I, I mean, yes. I, I saw the other day, I think that it it was like the number 300 book on Amazon. Like, you're not horror, not LGBTQ horror book, period. Yes. Um, well, that's for sure. pretty fucking wild. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I think it really applies to something we were talking about earlier, because even though it's got, you know, mostly universal, you know, rave reviews, uh, Eric has gotten a little pushback to people who assume that he is a straight white man and that he had no right to write a lesbian relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've been taking a look at the Goodreads reviews on his work um, just as someone who I used to work in the sex work industry. So a lot of the, um, you know, lower star ratings um, discussed a lot of like the representation of BDSM in his work and how it somehow meant that he was um, insinuating that uh, these lesbian uh, characters were uh, you know, toxic or um, it was like in- endorsing this like evil view of of uh, people who who participate in BDSM or lesbian relationships, and that uh, you know, as a as a cis man, he wasn't able, he's not allowed to write either of those, which I think is hilarious. Um, it's so bizarre to me that um, marginalized authors are held to this like higher standard than. Um, any other sort of like larger companies telling Mm -hmm. stories. Um, Having read the story myself, I, I don't understand why there's like this demand for moral punity around it. Um, It's a horror novel. Uh, I think that the horror was very effective and these two characters Mm -hmm. happened to be lesbians. They do talk about, you know, their background briefly. Um, But uh, I think I don't know. It's just so ridiculous to me, this like feedback and uh, how aggressive it is. And it's like this weird dogpiling. What about that? Also, oh, go ahead. Nope. You go. Okay. I I think it's also, (laughs) it, it, it strikes me as strange too, when people mistake the representation of a thing for the endorsement of that thing. Exactly. And, and thankfully I, I don't know anyone in real life who does that? Well, actually that's a lie. Um, I am, I'm a teacher. I have had some students who have had the experience of, well, I'll, I'll give the example of, um, oh gosh, what was the story? I'm I'm forgetting it now. Uh, I think it might've been actually Ballad of Black Tom. And there were some students who were like, oh, this book is so racist. Um, and I was like, well, I, th- I think we need to differentiate, you know, the, the, you know, what is the difference between the portrayal of characters who are racist and the endorsement of that actual racism? Exactly. And when I had that conversation mm-hmm. with that student, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, the internet is not the greatest place to have that conversation. It's <laughs> not like, it, it <laughs> oftentimes as beautiful as a resource, of a resource as the internet is, it is not the, the best vehicle for learning sometimes. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I, I do take issue with, folks who assume that simply because something is portrayed and then not necessarily commented on one way or the other, like where the author says, this is bad or like, mm-hmm. this is good. Um, that the, the author is implicitly endorsing that thing. I think that's like stupid. Did you tell him who wrote it? <laughs> What's that? Did you oh, tell yeah. him- Sadie did. Sadie was like, well, for me, I like to read fiction. <laughs> oh, I, I meant his students. Did you oh. tell did you tell them who Victor Laval is? Yeah. Cause... Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. They like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they got it. It clicked. Okay. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. There's this like, also, weird weaponization. Weaponization. Well, um, 
and like discomfort that is being used to silence artists. So one of the other topics that has kind of come up in the Twitterverse as well is like, do we put trigger warnings on work? Um, you know, particularly around horror because horror lives and thrives in what is traumatic um, and what is gory and what is intense. And um, I know that a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts and feelings around that. Um, but I saw there was some folks that were discussing how um, these like separate entities that uh, label works by queer authors have been used against them in the past. So if we look yep. at the MPAA, obviously, um, you know, depictions of uh, like women on women relationships versus like a straight relationship. One of them is going to be way more censored than the other, even to the point of getting like an NC-17 rating mm-hmm. um, where it's like American pie. Yeah. Like a dude can jerk off in a fucking pie in the like trailer <laughs> and that's totally fine. Um, so um, I, I'm of the opinion that trigger warnings are fine if the author wants to put them in. Um, it's it's a it's a nice thing to have, and uh, it can be put you know at the start of the book discreetly. Um, and I know there's like a couple databases online. However, from what I've seen, they're not always accurate. They'll be like there, so there's animal death in this book, and then the the author's like no, it, there isn't. <laughs> so I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> I, I think I've seen some people talk about that specifically on Storygraph, which is like it. I think that site is a cool alternative to Goodreads. Mm-hmm. It's not owned by Amazon, um, and it has some interesting features that I think are useful. But that is one of those that I th- I think is a little bit concerning, where it does take some of that control out of the the you know hands of a queer author um, or the hands of the publisher, and there are some folks who are who are a bit disingenuous with it or I'm being Midwestern about it who are extremely disingenuous about it <laughs> um, and seem to do that in a way that does weaponize you know those those types of warnings uh, in a really bad faith completely inaccurate sort of way against um, yeah queer authors work mm-hmm. Eric I got a question specifically for you man I've never been even close to where you live what's what's the reception like out there on a day-to-day basis never mind fiction for people that aren't you know straight is it accepting where you live uh well let me tell you about nebraska (laughs) (laughs) millions millions of gay farmers you don't have an straight off the cob uh i've never noticed that you don't yeah no i no i don't i'm i'm a you know a tv TV speak Midwestern. Um, You're phony. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I think in Nebraska, I mean, it's not, well, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say. Like, I can only speak from my incredibly subjective experience. And then I guess the experience of friends of mine I've talked to, but generally Nebraska's not horrible, at least in, in Lincoln, which is where I live. Uh, it's just a, I don't want to say like a slightly bigger city because it's only like 300,000 people, but um, you know, it's it's big enough that like generally, if you are, are queer, you can live here and be relatively fine. That said, I mean, Sophia, you mentioned like intersectionality. Like, I have uh, friends who are who are queer and black, or uh, who um, are like gender nonconforming in ways that are very like not stereotypically Midwest, who have had much harder times um, living in Nebraska than 
someone like I like I you know kind of like Bree I'm in and uh, so you know I can go out without any problem essentially um, but uh, yeah I, I have had you know some friends who have had a, a much harder time with this place to the point where uh, one friend has mentioned that like Nebraska is kind of a worse place to be queer than areas of the South where this friend lived previously, which really surprised me. Um, and maybe that's just me having some stereotypical assumptions about the South, but yeah. Does anyone want to jump in? All right. Brennan, what do you got, buddy? I'm leaning on you heavy today. All right. Um, so let's, let's completely change the subject sort of. Um, so when you are writing a story, and uh, Sophia, just a heads up, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you first. Eric keeps jumping on and cutting in line. Um, Sorry, no, I'm just kidding with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Eric gets thrown the question because everybody's very quiet. Um, so <laughs> when you are writing, when you're writing a story, um, how does representation figure into your writing, or uh, how how organically? Uh, how much thought, and we've touched on this a little bit already, but how much thought do you put into the way you're portraying your characters versus just letting them uh, kind of come out, so to speak, on the page and um, the way they interact with everybody else around them? Um, definitely for, uh, I'll speak to like queer characters to start off with. Um, I can't see myself ever writing <laughs> like a straight protagonist um that definitely goes back to like when I was a kid I would constantly just read books that had male protagonists because I felt seen in that narrative um I like felt uncomfortable reading um you know female protagonists most of the time um so I think just for me as an author I want to write the stories that I want to read um first and foremost and that might sound very self-indulgent, but um, more and more there are stories that um, I like to see out, out in the world um, that have queer representation, but um, I'd, there's still a lot missing, you know what I mean? There's this huge hole, particularly in horror, and I'm like, I want to see the like craziest queer horror shit ever. I love the genre so much, and it they work together so beautifully, and there's so much to be explored there. There's so much to be said there. Um, but if I look at, um, you know, other sort of marginalized characters, um, they usually come out on the page from what I've written in the past. Um, but then I'll usually do, you know, a second or third pass where, again, I'll get like a sensitivity reader or I'll speak to folks that, um, are of that like racial background or religious backgrounds to get a little bit more experience, um, not necessarily like a marginalized character, but um, the character from the debut that I was writing that like zombie horror story um, was in the Canadian army. And so I spoke to someone that worked at the Canadian army that helped people on mental health recoveries. And then one of my close cousins uh, worked in the Canadian army. He still does. And so um, I interviewed him for like over the series of months um, to really get a, a better idea. Cause I didn't want to like, come up with shit that I was just like pulling out of my ass. You know what I mean? So um, I think just approaching it respectfully is, is the best way to go about it. Um, there's always going to be places that like you're going to hit or miss. 
because um, you're creating a fictional character. Um, sometimes it'll be based on real things, sometimes it won't. But, uh, you know, I think the beauty of it is that it is this like new thing that you've created. And if it is based on um, marginalized experiences or contains marginalized characters, then you're adding to the world. There's, I don't think that there's anything bad about that, you know? That's a great point. Um, you know what? I would like to take a moment to see if any of you have recommendations for other LGBTQ authors or books. Mm. Sophia, you want to go first? Let me think. I, well, I just read Eric LaRocca. Um, I'm currently reading Poppy Z. Bright's Drawing Blood. <laughs> it has this very awesome, um, and it is a queer narrative as well. It has this really awesome quote at the start that says, art is not a mirror, art is a hammer. And I was thinking about that today while we were oh, I love prepping for this. Because I was like, art is both. Um, it reflects and it also <laughs> destroys, you know? Um I really like The Scapegracers, um, which is a young adult, uh, like witchy kind of the craft style story. Um, maybe come back to me because I got I to gotta scour my brain for some, some more. I read a lot of Haley Piper, but I think a lot of folks in our community know about her work. Um, her mm -hmm. short anthology was excellent. Um, yeah. I was going to recommend Haley Piper first. So that's really funny. <laughs> uh, she's great. Um, I mean, you could read just about anything by her and you'd be, you'd be great. She has a little bit of everything. There's some cosmic horror in there. Um, there's some, I don't really know what's going to happen with queen of teeth, but it seems like it probably has some body horror elements in it, so which good. I'm totally into. Um, oh, you read it? Sophie? No, I'm just obsessed with the art that Nick dated, and the oh, oh, so yeah. jealous. Yeah, yeah. There it is. I was like, it's gorgeous. Um, I mean, honestly, there's so there's so many good queer horror authors and authors writing queer horror right now that um, I think you can't go wrong if you if you pick up you know a little book by someone you've never heard and you decide to give it a chance, you might find your next favorite book or your next favorite author. My first, not story, but introduction to longer form by Haley was The Worm and His Kings. I thought it was great. So good. It's so, it so creepy. But the way that she touches on um, the cosmic aspect is what really gets me. I'm always interested to see how someone can uh, convey just why this cult or place or what have you is connected to another thing that is too fucked up really to understand almost impossible to understand but you get an idea and what she does with the music i'm just like oh my god i'm glad this is a book because i shit myself right now <laughs> uh brennan uh eric sorry i said brennan yeah i i got a few recommendations uh carmen maria machado is like one of the greatest writers True. ever just period uh, the Dream House is is an excellent, very weird memoir of hers. The Low Low Woods is her graphic novel that came out, I think, a year or two ago, which is excellent as well. And Her Body and Other Parties is is super weird and wonderful. 
uh, transmuted by Eve Harms, which I think is coming out next month. And Eve was supposed to be here with us, mm-hmm. um, but was not able to. Uh, but yeah, that's that's really good. If you like body horror, if you like stuff that's really cinematic, um, and it's a queer narrative as well. Um, if you're more into like Bizarro, I'm just like. By the way, I'm going through my like Goodreads list here. Um, <laughs> e- even though I just you know shout on Goodreads, it is it is still useful as a cataloging tool. Um, hey, they, the random thought, but they should have like a Goodreads meets whatever the app is these days for dating, where you can swipe left or swipe right. Yes, yeah. That'd be seriously, that'd be fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be cool. Be able to create a quick playlist or whatever, a read list or whatever you want to call it. All right, I'm done. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. Uh, uh, the other two I was going to recommend real quick, Winnie by Katie Michelle Quinn, which is about a gun that turns into a woman. Uh, oh. It's it's a very strange story. It's a, it's a piece of bizarro that has like some old West, weird West elements, some really like horrific body horror uh, is, is excellent. And then uh, the wingspan of severed hands by Joe Koch is just like, so good. Um, I love that. Title. I, I don't know how so good. <laughs> how Joe maintains the level of prose that they do, but um, yeah, it's it's freaking nuts, and um, yeah, yeah, you can't go wrong. So <laughs> the interview you had with uh, with Joe was pretty neat, and the part that really sticks in my head still is when they were talking about how um, they want to see the transformation period because they don't really see that enough in prose or I, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't remember if Joe said that they, they see it um, ever or if it's very infrequent. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about like the, the messy middle ground of transition. Yeah. 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 I love that too. That interests me on so many levels. I want to, I want to mm-hmm. read that. I want to know what that's like. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, everyone can at least relate to it on some extent, I would think, because as humans, especially when you're a teenager, I mean, you're going through some weird stuff. I know that's not the best comparison, but that's all I got. So I need to read more to understand a little bit more uh, of that side of things. Um, I'm flander, uh, floundering here. So, uh, Brendan, how about you save me, buddy? <laughs> I, I would throw uh, TC Parker on that list definitely as well. Yeah. Um, I yes. actually have not read any of her more horror stuff. I've got Salt Blood sitting right over there. Uh, Press of Feathers. I hear great things about. I've read uh, her uh, two out of her three crime books, um, and they are awesome. They are really, really well written, um, and I would definitely recommend them to anybody. That's great. Um, okay, done saving you. Back to you. No, that's all right. I'm going to run through uh, the ending bits, if you will. So if, before... you, if you'd like, we could uh, we could throw the question I asked to Sophia, uh, to Bree and Eric before you rudely cut them off. Would you like to do that? Yeah. <laughs> so, Bree, I'm going to throw it to you first. Uh, oh, what, what goes into crafting your characters? Um, oh, I... I feel bad because I know a lot of authors have like a specific process, but I kind of just like, I have the whole person. This It sounds completely batshit probably to anyone who's not a writer, but I have the whole person like completely in my head. And I already know, like, I'm like, okay, this person just comes into my head, like fully formed. I'm like, you know, she's, she's a lesbian. She's black. She lives in, I, I don't know, Detroit. She's, 
going through this and this, and this is what she does for a living. Like that's kind of how I, I get my characters and then I discover more about them in my first draft. Um, I don't use a worksheet or anything like that. I, for me, that kind of makes it feel too much like school. And then I won't actually write the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Then it just feels like having homework for the rest of my life. So (laughs) I, I don't have, I, I don't really have a process when it comes to creating characters. Eric, how about you, buddy? Oh, that's tough. I feel like it varies piece to piece. Um, I mean, I, I generally do outlining a plot. And with that, I do like outlining some basic character points. Like I'll say this happens because this character wants this or this character goes to this place because they have this intention. Um, I, I feel like I have a super boring answer. And I also mainly write short stories. And so like oftentimes, like a lot of the characterization I do is is sort of um, uh, pantsed in the moment. I'm like, ooh, this would be like an interesting thing to develop here. Or it's like, uh, I guess, honed and and crafted and refined in the process of beta reading. Um, I know like whenever I, I bump a piece to uh, you, Brennan, or Pat, um, oftentimes I'll have character questions. And so, uh, again, this is <laughs> not maybe an interesting answer, but like that's just how it works for me, at least for f- short fiction. So as far as including uh, queer characters, how much of a conscious decision is it versus, you know, how much do you just get partway into the story and say, okay, I guess so. I think like a lot of the time it's just implicit for me that they're going to be queer in some way. And I I don't know. I mean, like it just feels right most of the time. Um, It's just a gut feeling thing. And then sometimes I throw a like a token straight in there or something. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Give him some representation yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. A, a little, you know, a scrap. You got you gotta have them straights in there, man. Um was that did I interrupt? No, you're okay. Did I now. Do it again? Okay. So I wanted to jump real quick for Sophia to plug one more thing. It's uh, her her jewelry. That's how I first saw her with that uh, Medusa ring. It's beautiful. I've looked through her um, gallery. I don't know what the proper term is. Yeah, website. Just tell us your website. <laughs> um, what? Tell us about well, it. Thank you. First of all, it's really generous. What you, um, yeah. What got you into it? Uh, that's a good question. I I was like working with my hands and um, I don't know, I fell into it. I went to university for um, East Asian studies and women's studies. And before that in Quebec, there's like a weird mandatory post high school, pre university college that you have to go to called CJEP. Um, And uh, you have to like specialize in a certain program. I did graphic design, which helps a lot in like a different bunch of different elements of my business, but um, started working for different people here and there. I was doing retail and I was like, I hate working for other people. <laughs> I want to die. So um, I started taking jewelry classes and um, wax sculpting, which is you're literally just like carving away at a piece of wax. And then um, you can cast that into uh, fine metals and um, started doing a couple different spooky things. Um, I worked as a bench jeweler for someone in Montreal for like 
a month. I like quit my job. I was working at Sephora. Um, I started working for this jeweler and then she peaced out to move to London to be with her boyfriend. And she just like collapsed her brand like overnight. Um, and I was like, oh shit, I don't know how I'm going to live. Um, so I started my brand in my parents' basement and uh, yeah, making a lot of story oriented pieces. I like to joke that it's like fan art to like pre-existing pieces love letters is maybe more of like a poetic way of saying that but a lot of the work that i create is inspired by pre-existing work that's why i have pieces that are like uh, a piece inspired by like um the cipher from kathy koja and like um i have a piece that i made after reading um grind your bones to dust from nicholas day and um i have a piece that i made in collaboration with cassandra kaw who has an excellent book coming out in autumn um, called Nothing But Black Teeth. And um, oh. it is just amazing. Like, wow, chef kiss. Um, so yeah, it was a really nice way to like bridge two things that I really enjoyed because um, uh, jewelry making was starting to become very tedious in a sense because it was like very business oriented. And then I got to slide in certain elements of things that I enjoyed like horror. So Yeah. We're going to have Cassandra on for that book. Can't wait. That, that cover alone is I'm so haunting. Oh my gosh. So Everything cool. she writes is just phenomenal. Like gory deliciousness. And, she, and she's just like, from what I've gathered following her for the last few months, she's just this like nice person that loves talking about like really nice stuff. But then she writes really oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Plus like the big nerd in me is like, you wrote, you're, you worked on, a Dungeons and Dragons book. That's ridiculously amazing. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were a D&D uh, fan, Erica. Cha. Cha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last thing is uh, I'd like to ask about this, Sophia. So you collaborate with authors. If an author wants to collaborate with you, is that possible? If so, how can they do it? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll like reach out like, slide into people's dms sometimes i'm like hey i saw an excerpt that you posted if you ever want merch hit me up um but yeah if we're mutuals please don't hesitate to reach out i love doing things like beta reading i love um helping promote people's work in any way whatsoever um the horror community is so wonderful like despite all the bullshit that we've just talked about and like how garbage fear twitter is um <laughs> i have met and like discovered some of the most amazing people on that forum so i like truly am really thankful for that experience um and yeah i just i love working together with people on things because designing jewelry can be a really isolating experience so um yeah if anyone wants to reach out i am happy to make merch i am uh, happy to make anything for release dates so including the folks that are here <laughs> that's awesome um we're going to run through a few uh, normal wrap-up things, and then we'll go to final thoughts. So think about whatever you guys want to talk about one more time. And uh, if you, listener, want to check out any of those articles, any reviews by Brennan and myself or other guests, or you want to go to the store to check out merch with my face on uh, a mask, which 
you can still buy masks now with my mug. Uh, get it on a coffee mug, a notebook, other stuff like that. Go to deadheadspace.com, click on the store tab, and you can find out what I'm talking about. Um, where can people follow you, Eric? You first, mister. Sure. Yeah, you can um, follow me through the, the streets of Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> skulking behind trees, hiding behind, you know, uh, hey, what, post boxes and that sort what, of thing. What about uh, a but, clown? But, uh, that's that's fine. Yeah. That's, no, no. Care. Remember? Do you remember? Does anyone remember that? That just stopped being a thing. That used to be all over the country. We, we did have some of that in Nebraska uh, yeah. at the time. I think it was 2016. There were some clowns who uh, who were yeah. standing outside of. Uh, it wasn't the school I was working at, but it was another school during um, class hours. Anyway, uh, my real answer is you can follow me on Twitter. Eric Raglan1992 is my uh, username there, uh, or at Curse Morsels also on Twitter. I am pretty receptive to just saying hi to folks and talking to you. And if you're a cool person, um, yeah, hit me up. I like cool people. If you're not, you can pop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do not contact if you're not. Nice. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Bree? Where can people follow you? Um, I'm I'm just all over the damn place. But <laughs> the two best places to find me are Twitter. I'm Brie Morgan Books on Twitter and Brianna Morgan Books on Instagram. Those Great. are my two most common platforms, I guess. Awesome. Uh, Sophia, what about you? Where can people follow you? Uh, I am most active on Twitter. My handle is at Sophia Ajram. And uh, if you like jewelry, I also make jewelry. And uh, I have a Twitter no, I don't. I have an Instagram jewelry account, and that <laughs> is sophia.zakia. Um, final thoughts. Let's start with uh, Bree. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have anything to say that we haven't already covered or that one of the other panelists has said more eloquently, but <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think it is important to keep talking about things like this and to keep questioning you know, if the media is headed in a way that is going to be beneficial to people or harmful to people, because if, if we don't analyze our own work and if we don't analyze the work of our peers, then, you know, we lose kind of control of where we're going as a society. And that's not to say that you should police people. I think we've gotten into that, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's tricky. You have, it's a fine line. You have to keep looking at what you're doing and questioning what you're doing and if it's for the right reasons. Perfect. Uh, Eric. Yeah. I guess the last thought I'd give is I just want to reiterate the importance of allowing queer fiction to have queer characters who are monsters. I think that oftentimes like the role of the monster is to threaten some aspect of dominant society. And there are some aspects of dominant society that are absolutely worth threatening and destroying. So um, I think the role of the monster can be a, a socially important one and to allow representation for that in literature, embrace it and see it as sort of an imaginative space for destroying things like say capitalism. Oh, God damn it. You um, had to say that. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's worth it. <clears throat> so that's all I'll say there. You were doing so good, man. Hello, over an hour and a half. <laughs> it's okay. I love you, buddy. Um, Sophia, what do you got? Anything? Um, yeah, I would agree with what Eric uh, said. I definitely, I want to bring queer people back to the table. Um, I love horror so much. Like, and 
I think the older you get, the more you realize how like deeply a certain genre hits you from a really young age and how it helps form who you are and what your interests are. Um, and I want to see myself in horror and I want people who identify as queer to see themselves in horror. And I want people that are marginalized and um, have intersecting identities to see themselves in a horror. And um, by having people within those communities write those stories, um, whether they be, you know, beautiful or monstrous, um, it normalizes them. And so having both of those exist is important, I think. Brandon, I'll save you for last. Um, I'm going to ask the question that other guys or girls in my position, uh, you know, straights, <laughs> thumb straights. I'm going to ask you guys a question. If you're not comfortable with it, by all means, don't answer. Um, but queer was always a word growing up that was very derogatory. And recently, um, now I'm friends with, not that it's new for me because of Twitter, but uh, now I'm more uh, surrounded by it with fiction that queer is heavily being used all the time. So my question is, is why is that? And is it acceptable in your three's opinion for everyone to use that term in that context that you guys use it in? It's, that's a loaded question. Yep. <laughs> All right, good night. <laughs> <laughs> that's for you, listeners. All right. No. Open um, interpretation. I think, um, like a lot of different terms, uh, it's about reclaiming a word that might have been used. Um, more offensively uh, or more aggressively. For me, I I had studied um, what was initially called women's studies in university and queer came to be this umbrella term for sort of everything that was the other mm -hmm. um, for gender and sexuality. And um, I fall under the category of like bi and genderqueer. Um, so I sort of fluctuate between all of these different identities. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a nice, I think there there's comfort in finding uh, a label or like a home for yourself. Um, that's what a lot of uh, bi people struggle with a lot of the time is like, I'm not straight enough to be with the straights and I'm not gay enough to be with the queer community, um, but you are. And so having this like queer umbrella helps to shelter all of us. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> To go back to like whether or not, you know, cis straight people can use these terms. I think it's like, do you feel uncomfortable using that term? Um, and if you do, like, let's unpack that a little bit, you know? Because, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's just about, uh, you know, looking at that and then maybe talking to people in the queer community. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly have a problem with it. I think it's a, uh, an apt nomer. I, it's, it's very useful. So, um, you know. It's not like you're saying like a queer, like yeah. <laughs> so. It's, it's you know, it depends on context, it depends on conjugation, but uh, you know, as a, as a descriptor for like a, a certain type of narrative, I think it's super helpful. That'd be so rude. I know. Yeah, don't do that. I would also add, you know, um, like Sophia touched on a little bit. Intention matters. So if you notice that you're only using queer to describe maybe an aspect of otherness in regards to sexuality in a way that's like negative, um, you're going to have to unpack that probably, but also like just be respectful how you're using it, I guess I would say. And I mm -hmm. think that's 
that's probably basic knowledge and common sense, but it, it always pays to be nice. Mm-hmm. I would echo what Sophia said about it being a, a useful umbrella term. Um, I think that it does a lot to unite a lot of different identities that can be sort of like disparate at times. And, um, you know, a lot of people like are have concerns about, you know, oh, when there are so many identities, like, you know, people, it, it just divides people further. Um, I'm not going to get into that conversation because I don't particularly want to. And also I'm tired, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I will say, you know, queer is just a great, you know, it's, it's, it's a great uniting term. Um, and it says like, not a lot, but it also says a lot at the same time. So I, I will defend it. And I think I can think of only one instance in which I've ever been offended by someone's use of the word queer. And again, it was like, sort of what Brie was saying. It's about intention. Um, it was someone who did that, that like, oh, there's a, there's a queer right there. You know, that sort of thing. Like, I don't know why I gave him that accent right there. It's a student of mine. But, <laughs> what accent um, was that? I don't know. It's general. Southern homophobe. Southern, yeah, Southern, okay. Southern homophobe. That, that was some deep Sorry. south right there. I know yeah. it. I know it well. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Atlanta, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a useful term. And I, I don't think, um, there's any issue with straight cis people using it just personally. I'm not speaking for everyone mm-hmm. just personally. I was just wondering for myself and anyone that, cause it's like a touchy subject. It feels like, um, cause you don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, I don't know. I talk with you guys and I talk with others. So I, I, I thought it was acceptable. Um, I guess the bottom line to this entire episode is to treat people like people. <laughs> What a revolutionary concept. <laughs> oh, it took almost two hours to figure that out. <laughs> um, Brennan, final thoughts, sir. Uh, first final thought is I am definitely glad you asked that. You know, I've, I've used the term a couple times tonight. And if I'm honest, you know, it, it's definitely um, a s- presumptuous, but at the same time, getting to know this, the, you know, the, the people in, the Twitter community that do fall under the umbrella, as you guys put it, I do see it used as a term of unity. Um, and that's, I guess that's my interpretation of it. So uh, I, I would throw out, a, you know, I apologize if, you know, for, for asking that question, is it okay to uh, use that term two hours into the episode? But at the same time, um, like I said, I guess I didn't think anything of it because I do see it used in that positive context to pro- provide this, I can't think of a better word than sense of community, uh, a group of people that uh, work together and have common goals. Um, beyond that, my final thoughts are thank you to the three of you uh, because it is Monday night and you guys stayed up late with us to uh, you know, have a really important discussion, I think. Um, and I appreciate you being open and honest and willing to talk about all this stuff and drop some sage wisdom on, uh, Patrick, myself, and hopefully a bunch of listeners. It is a pleasure. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, thank you for giving us the forum to have this kind of conversation and, uh, you folks are absolute gents. (laughs) Uh, right, Right back at you. And you know what? Like this was kind of unintentional. Ronald Kelly was the one that said, hey, we should talk about faith and, and, you know, religion and horror. So he's the one that got the ball rolling with the round tables being on something. It's about horror, but it's so much bigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the second one was accepting 
and uh, accepting rejections, which got into race discussions with Cena Palayo, Gabino Iglesias, and S.A. Uh, Cosby, um, and then Joe Lansdale. And then the last one, the third one, was with Brennan as a guest and Cena, Mercedes, and Yardley. Um, I'm missing someone. Oh, Tyler. Tyler Jones, the one that created. Rhonda. And Rhonda J. Garcia, or Rhonda J. Joseph. Uh, she goes by two names where we talked about uh, parents that had children with varying disabilities that use, the parents use writing as an output, um, an outlet, sorry, I'm tired myself. <laughs> uh, but you know what? You, you guys are awesome. These round tables, they, they make, I gotta say, it's not about us, but I, I'm speaking for Brennan, but it kind of feels like we have some kind of neat purpose for this podcast beyond entertainment. So that's my final thought. I thank you guys. It, it means the world that you offered us this time to just speak about something that I, I got to figure was pretty hard to speak about a few years ago, especially to people that you never even pers- met face to face. So thank you for that. Listeners, I hope that this helps someone out there. And uh, next episode is next Monday. That'll be episode 102 with writer Tony Rapino. He is a sculptor and a writer. Uh, he recently ghost wrote this book that now has a bunch of merchandise, including action figures called the Order of Cosmic Champions. What is that exactly? We'll find out next week. You got many choices, listeners and podcasts. Thank you for picking us. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.